If you would, church, would you open your Bibles to Luke chapter 15? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for gathering us together this morning. It is a privilege and a joy to be together, to be able to sing with friends that we haven't seen in months, to be able to uh, lift our voice together, to be able to gather around God's word and, and, and press in. We pray that, Lord, we would receive your word for what it is, your word, and that we would, uh, Lord, uh, be changed by it, that we'd hear what you have to say to us and that we'd be shaped by it. Help us, God. Help us to engage with everything in us, to worship you the way we listen to your word and, to, and the way we respond to it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, how many of you ever, ever watched the celebration of fans on the opposing team and you just think to yourself, man, that's a little too much now. They better simmer down. You're going a little too wild. Or maybe you've watched that victory dance of a family member after you, you lost to the board game or whatever game it was on family night, and they're dancing, and you're like, mm, you're rolling your eyes. That's what you're doing. Well, here's the deal. Uh, Jesus ate, according to the religious leaders of the day, Jesus ate with the opposing team, and, and he celebrated in a way that caused a lot of eyes to roll. Why would Jesus eat with outcasts and traitors? Well, Jesus' answer has everything to do with the joy of finding what was lost. The joy of finding what was lost. Let's look together at Luke chapter 15. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. And so he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. 
Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Well, now his older son was in the field and As he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing and called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you. I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and to be glad for this. Your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. There's four things I pray we see here this morning. First, the joy of heaven. Second, the love of a father. Third, the reason Jesus ate with sinners. And fourth, the invitation before us. First, the joy of heaven. Now, this is what God celebrates. Tax collectors and sinners is a way to summarize Jesus was attracting outcasts. These are people on the sidelines of society. Tax collectors were known as traitors and cheaters. They worked for Rome. Rome's the enemy. How dare they? How could they? They couldn't be trusted. And sinners, well, this is a broad category of people who just didn't obey God's law. And it's it's interesting. I mean, imagine that. Here, outcasts, those who didn't fit into the religious system of the day, are drawn to Jesus. And not because Jesus is compromising his message or not because Jesus is ignoring sin. Jesus spoke truth in love. He opened his life to others and stepped into people's lives. And this messed with the religious elite. We're told about the Pharisees and the scribes that they're grumbling and complaining that Jesus did this, that he ate with tax collectors and sinners. This is table fellowship. This goes beyond just sharing a meal. This is befriending, spending time with. So Jesus has some critics, and they're grumbling, they're complaining. So picture it. You've got tax collectors and sinners on one side and the self-appointed religious experts of the day on the other, and Jesus is answering his critics with these three memorable parables, these stories that are just hard to forget. Easy to remember. Story of of the man who's a shepherd who leaves the 99 to pursue the one. Story of the woman who loses one of her 10 coins and she sweeps until she finds it. And the story of that father who's filled with love for both his sons. First, we see this man. He's presumably a shepherd. He's got 100 sheep. He loses one. 
And since he's a faithful shepherd, he understands the value of his flock and he goes after that one sheep. He leaves the 99 and it says until he finds it. And then he lays the, that, that one that he finds on his shoulders and he, and he brings it home rejoicing. Now listen, we, we see uh, in scripture, in the Psalms and in the prophets, that God is oftentimes referred to as a shepherd. And, and we see this, um, we can see this in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 11, where uh, the prophet Isaiah says, He, or the Lord, Yahweh, will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his, in his bosom or close to his heart. It's endearing. It's tender. This is God's heart for his people. And so we see it reflected in this man who left the 99 in the open country and pursued the one until he found it. And when he found it, he was excited. He rejoiced. He was happy. But it didn't stop there. He didn't keep his happiness to himself. Well, what does he do? He goes and he invites others to join uh, his celebration. He invites friends to, 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 to join him in, 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 in the celebration and in the joy of what he's found. Now, listen, I know you know what it feels like to lose something valuable. We've all lost something valuable. I, I, I misplace my phone all the time. I can't think of a more valuable item that maybe we, we could misplace. Um, so if we misplace our phone, uh, what do we do? Are, are we indifferent to it? No. It matters. Okay? It matters a lot. We go on the hunt for it, and we, we look until we find it. Uh, it gets serious in my house if, I'm, if I lose my phone. And so, but when I find my phone, I'm just not like, oh, good, there it is. I'm like, yes. Yes. I didn't throw $1,000 out. You know? I found it. Got my phone. I celebrate. The greater the value of the object, the greater the joy when you find it. Maybe you lost a wedding ring. Maybe you lost your favorite t-shirt from college and you found it again. You're like, yes. I don't know what it is. We all lose something. We know that feeling of losing something we value, but we know the feeling when we find it and the joy that fills our heart. And that is what this man is experiencing when he finds that, that one sheep. And then Jesus draws a line from this man, this shepherd, all the way to what's happening in heaven. Over one sinner who repents. Jesus says there is more joy for one sinner who repents than 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. So Jesus is in a way just helping us understand the atmosphere of heaven right now. The joy in heaven I don't know what you think of heaven, but here we're told there's joy. And there's joy over a particular thing, the repentance of a sinner. Now, what does repent mean? Repent means to own up to the fact that you're a sinner, turning away from a life that is lived centered on you, turning to God as Savior, and, 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 of course, that becomes, that's how you enter the kingdom. We've been talking about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. Remember when Jesus talked about that narrow door, how it's open, and he's urging everyone to enter. And, and when you enter, what you see going on in the door is a feast. There's a celebration. So the kingdom is described a lot like a feast. But there's room at the table for all who would come, 
for all who would look to Jesus as the king of this kingdom and bow their lives to him and repent and own up to the fact that we fall short, that we're all in that category of outcasts, of sinner, that we've, we've all rebelled, we own up to that. And then we walk away from that life and live our lives centered on Jesus. That's really what we're talking about here, repentance. And Jesus is telling us that heaven gets rowdy when one sinner comes to repentance. That heaven celebrates. Then we, we learn about this woman who lost one of her ten coins. And she isn't like, oh well, I had ten, now I have nine, big deal. That's not her attitude. I lost one of my ten coins. So she's sweeping, she's looking, she's, she lost her iPhone, right? No, she lost her coin. She is on the hunt. She's not going to stop until she finds it. And then when she finds it again, what does she do? She invites others into her joy. But then Jesus, he, he draws the line again. Again, we're told about the joy of heaven. So there's this double emphasis here with these two punchy stories that are just right there in front of us that help us uh, understand what's happening in heaven. And he's highlighting, he's underlining, he's placing this huge exclamation point on what's being said Jesus doesn't want, to, doesn't want us to miss the celebration that goes on when one sinner comes to repentance. It matters. It's a big deal to Jesus. It should be a big deal to us. The joy of heaven. Second, we see the love of a father. And this is what God is like. As we discuss the love of a father, I want, I want you to just think, this is what God the Father is like. A man has two sons, and the youngest comes to him and asks for his share of the inheritance. He wants the property right then and there. And now this was usually done at the end of life. When, when dad was going to die, he would then give his, his property away to his sons and divide it up accordingly. So this son is essentially saying, Dad, I wish you were dead. Give me my share now. It's not a good thing. It's a shameful thing. And all the crowds that were listening would have just been like, what is this guy doing asking for the property, asking for the power over the property now while his dad is still alive? Man, this guy's a punk. What's he doing? Even more shocking was that the father gave the property and the inheritance to his son. He does it. Crowd would have just been like, whoa, what's happening here? What's happening is the son takes his inheritance and he sells it off. He sells off uh, the father's property, which again would have been shameful and dishonoring. And, and then what does he do? Verse 13, he took a journey into a far country. Oh man, he's finally free. He's free. He can do whatever he wants and he does just that. He's out from under all the restrictions of dad and all the, all the restrictions of home. And what does this man do? He, this young man, he squanders it on reckless living. And that, that just, he partied. He partied hard. He gave himself away to the things that he thought would satisfy, and he came up empty, came up wanting. A famine hit. He spent everything, and he was done for. So here is this, this young man, destitute, alone. He's in a far country. He's actually in Gentile territory. We know this because he's, he's feeding pigs. Pigs were an unclean, are an unclean animal for Jews, and so we have no association with. But here he's finding himself feeding unclean animals in Gentile ter territory, alone and without any money. It's a bleak situation. 
And maybe you can relate. Maybe you have found yourself in a far country, walking away from the things that you thought were just terribly restricting. Out, now that you're out from under all of that stuff, you're just spending yourself on things that you think will satisfy, and it's coming up empty, and it's dark, and you don't know what to do about it. Maybe you're in that position. I, I don't know. That's the position this, this guy was in. And it's in his darkest moment that he comes to himself. He came to himself. It's like he woke up. The lights came on. And he comes up with this speech, this, this plan. All right, I'm going back to dad. The servants have enough bread. Maybe I could be a servant. And his speech is sincere. How do I know? How do we know his speech is sincere? He owns up to the fact that he sinned against his father and against heaven. Now, heaven is a way of referring to, to God. It's a Jewish way of referring to God without saying uh, God's name. So they were honoring, revering uh, the name of God. And so here is this, this, uh, this guy, and he's saying, I have sinned against heaven, I've sinned against my Father. And you know, you understand that repentance begins there with recognizing that it's, our sin is first and foremost against a holy God. That sin is sin because God exists. And he's called us to live for his glory and for himself. And we've rebelled against that. And so we, we learn from, remember King David, when he uh, committed adultery with Bathsheba, he sinned against Uriah, Bathsheba's husband. But in Psalm 51, uh, David writes, against you and you alone, Lord, have I sinned. Every time I, I read that, I'm like, ah, you sinned against Uriah, man. <laughs> you really did. But his point, I think, is... It's first and foremost against God. Let's start there. Let's own up to the fact that I have first sinned against you, God, and I've sinned against others. And the, the son does that here. So he has this plan. He begins to make his way home. And what's important, I think, before we move on too quickly from the son's speech, uh, what's important about this speech is that this isn't just regret. This isn't just like, uh, oh, well, I'm sorry. This is, no, I've sinned. It's ownership. So here it is, uh, verse 20, the father saw his son. I don't know what's going on. The father, it might be, maybe he's sipping on tea on the porch, I don't, sipping some tea on the porch. He's just looking out and he sees his son coming and, and his heart starts to beat. He's like, is that my boy? The one I thought was gone, the one I thought was dead. And he feels compassion for his son and he begins to run. Now for a man and a wealthy man at that to run like this is completely undignified and out of place. And so there would have been servants around thinking, what is this guy? He's hiking up his, his, uh, his clothes and he's running after his son and he's not stopping until he gets to him and then he falls on his son and he kisses him. He's excited. He's overwhelmed with compassion. Doesn't care how undignified it looks. How inappropriate it looks. The son begins his speech, and dad interrupts. Yeah, yes, yes, yes. Doesn't even talk to his son. He says to his servants, hey, bring the best robe. Now, the best robe would have been the, the father's robe. Uh, that's my guess. The best robe in the house would have belonged to the father. Bring my, bring my best robe. Bring the best robe and put it on my boy. Bring a ring, most likely a signet ring, which would have uh, represented authority and membership in the family. Bring the family's ring. Put it on my boy. Put some shoes on his feet. Servants go barefoot, but not my son. 
and prepare that fattened calf. You know, the one we reserve for the greatest of ceremonies and celebrations, the one that we reserve for the entire community to come and feast on, prepare that one. Why? Verse 24 is why. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Okay, so this is a picture of the father's pardoning love. It's a picture of God the father. It's a portrait. And it's one we cannot forget. It's a picture of extravagant grace. And we need to, church, we need to make sure that we are holding up whatever picture of God we have in our head to this picture. Whatever picture of God the Father you have in your head, hold it up to the picture we find in Luke 15. Make sure it matches. Because we are all tempted to create a God in our, of our own making, of our own imagination. But we need God to show us what he's like. I want to see his character. I want to see his ways. Uh, And so this is where we see God's heart, God's compassion, God's mercy, God's grace, his love towards broken sinners like you and me. A.W. Tozer, he writes, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Oh, I like that. It's the first sentence of his uh, book on the attributes of God. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Why? Why? Because what we think about God shapes our actions, our behavior, our life. If you believe God is a holy God that's called you to live for his glory, you will live differently than if you believe God is really indifferent to your day-to-day actions. If you believe God loves you and longs for a relationship with you, you will act differently than if you believe God is stiff-arming you and could really not care at all whether or not you draw near. What we think about God shapes us. Most important thing about us. So here the son, he received a lot more than he expected, didn't he? The father gave him what he couldn't fix on his own. What did he give him? Restored relationship. Yeah. Restored relationship. God's love and grace, it's so great, it's going to be hard to understand. Grace feels scandalous at times. If you're not at times just taken back by God's grace, if you're not just like the breath is taken out of you, like if, if grace doesn't so humble you and move you to the point of just saying, whoa, wait a minute, I, I don't deserve this, then you're not seeing grace clearly. And we need to see it again. Verses 25 now through 32, we see the older son comes back from the fields. He hears the music and the dancing. He smells that barbecue and he's, he's wondering what's going on. When the servant told him, hey, your younger brother's back. We're celebrating. Older brother's not happy. He's angry. He refuses to enter the celebration. And according to Middle Eastern custom, the oldest son should have gone after the younger brother. He should have gone after him and been the main reconciler between uh, the father and the son. He should have been a part of that. And he, he was not. 
And so instead, this son refuses to join the celebration. He refuses to join the feast that his father threw. It's a great insult to his dad. And so once again, what does the dad do? What does this loving father do? Does he slap his older son around like, hey, what are you doing? No. They say, okay, fine. You don't want to join? Just go do your thing. No. What does he do? He goes after him. He makes an appeal. Come to the feast. But the older son unloads on dad. He'd been bumped and now it's spilling out. He's disrespectful. He's demeaning. It's a, he's accusatory. He's dishonoring to his dad. Look at verse 29. He says, look now, look. Doesn't, doesn't say father, doesn't say sir. Look, look here. And this is in front of the whole family or at least members of the community or servants that were there. I, I served you. I never disobeyed. You never gave me. And then this son of yours, not my brother, can't even say my brother. This son, this son of yours comes back, and this is what you do for him. What's he saying? It's not fair. Dad, what you're doing isn't fair. It's not right. And it's really easy for us to point the finger at God and say it's not fair. It's not fair. His brother, his older brother, is basically saying he, re- he deserves to remain destitute and outcast. Do you feel the resentment and bitterness in, in the older brother? Do you, do you see the accusation here, the self-righteousness? I did this. I did that. I deserve more. It's a sense of moral superiority and pride that's just clouded the vision of this older brother. You know, you'll never forgive someone you feel uh, superior to, better than. Resentment and self-righteousness and pride, it's blinding. I'm telling you right now, it's blinding. It's blinding the older son in this story to the grace that this older son had received. It was his. He was walking in it, couldn't see it, didn't matter to him. And it was still available to him. You see what the father all that I have is yours. You've always had it. Enter the celebration, son. The older son represents the religious leaders. Jesus is answering his critics with this story. The older son cannot wrap his mind around the father's grace extended to his bro. He refuses to see this as even grace. It's an injustice to him. He, he can't see uh, the grace ex- extended to himself either. What is grace? Grace is God's undeserved love. It can't be earned, and it's freely given to all who receive it. Undeserved. Can't be earned. Church, we become what we celebrate. You think about any culture of any uh, church or business, organization, you become what you celebrate. We, we are striving, we have for the length of time we've been a church, to highlight God's grace, to, to pause and to celebrate where he's at work in our lives. And we do that on Sundays, we call them local stories, we want to keep doing that. We'll keep doing that because God's at work. But we want to be sure to do that in each other's lives. 
Because there are days that it's hard for me to see where God's at work, but he's active, he's involved, he is working. But when I hear the work happening in, each, in your life, when, I, when you share with me the grace that you're receiving, that you're walking in, oh, we're able to celebrate that together and highlight that together. It'll help shape us as a community. It'll help remind us, oh, that's right. All of this is undeserved. Oh, that's right. Everything is growing out of my understanding of this grace that's been received, this free gift of love and mercy, this pardoning love and forgiveness that I've received. It's nothing I earned or deserved. And so now what grows out of that, hopefully, is a life of humility and love expressed to God and others. This older son isn't seeing it. He's blinded by self-righteousness and pride. Let me tell you, it can happen. And when it happens, we don't know it. And so we need community to help us. Are you feeling resentment towards somebody? Are you feeling superior? Feeling some bitterness? That could be a sign. There's some self righteousness brewing in your heart. But guess what? Even though Jesus is shattering the categories of these religious leaders, these Pharisees and scribes, he doesn't leave them there. He doesn't just have his arm around the tax collectors and the sinners and be like, yeah, this is us. Get out of here. <laughs> no. He's saying, come to the feast. Come celebrate with us. Don't be blinded to the grace you've received and is available for you too. See, sometimes we focus on the younger son and we miss what's going on with the older son. The father pursued both. He pursued both. What happened? Did the Pharisees and the scribes join the party? We're not told. The story ends in a way, though, that invites us to consider how we fit into this story. What will our response be? Well, number three, the, re the reason that Jesus ate with sinners. And, and this is what God sent Jesus to do. This is what God the Father sent his son to do. This is the reason Jesus ate with sinners. And, 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 and here it is. Look with me in verse 32. It was fitting to celebrate and to be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Jesus is saying the celebrating I'm doing here in this ministry of mine is the only appropriate response because what was lost is now found. Now, this is the work I was sent to do, to seek and to save the lost, to bring the dead to life. And so listen, celebrate with me. Celebrate with me. And so finally, we have an invitation before us, number four. What's the invitation before us? You can return home to God. You can return home to God the Father. Doesn't matter what you've done. Doesn't matter how far gone you think you are. Doesn't matter how dark it's been. You can return home to the Father. And he's not going to push you away. You see the image of the Father when he sees his son, the compassion that spills out and how he runs after him and he falls on him and he's kissing him. You can come home. Come home. Come home.
Not another day with the pigs. Not another day. Come home. He's ready to welcome you. Also, you can join the celebration. Do you hear the music? You smell the barbecue? Will you enter the joy? It's up to you. Will you see God for who he really is and grace for what it really accomplishes? Will you be humbled by that? Do you remember how horrible it felt to lose something valuable what we talked about earlier? Do you remember what it felt like, though, to f- find it and how you reacted? The table is set. The music is on. And all of heaven is rejoicing. The joy of finding what was lost is the joy we are invited into. And no one can take that from us. What are we going to celebrate? What are we going to be marked by? All of heaven is rejoicing. Let's join in. Let's pray. Father, help us today to be a people marked by joyful celebration over the things you celebrate. To be a people who are responding to the grace that you show through repentance, and the grace that you show through mercy and pardoning love, to be humbled by it all, to enter the joy of it. Father, for those here today, all of us need to evaluate our own hearts and see where there's resentment and bitterness, self-righteousness and pride getting in the way, clouding our vision of your grace. Would you humble us? Help us, Lord, to respond to your kind invitation to repent, to get right with you, but also to enter the feast. Keep us from keeping our arms folded and our foot tapping and our hearts hardened. Instead, soften our hearts. Help us to enter the joy of heaven. Help us to enter the joy of finding what was lost. Help that to mark us as a church. Truly, truly, for our sake and for the sake of our city. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.